So one of the expressions the Buddha made of his teaching was, I teach karma and the end of karma. I teach karma, action, and the end of action. I teach karma that is good, gives rise to good results, and bad, yep, and mingled, some good, some bad, and the end of, end of action, end of good and bad, end of cause and effect. And why does he teach that? And if this is action that he's talking about, which is a reasonable translation of karma, what do Buddhas do? They seem to talk, move around, do all kinds of things. Are they not acting? They seem to be doing things. Is it impossible to do anything? If you want to really be top grade Buddhist? <laughs> well, of course, it's a little more than it's not. It's it's a little more. A karma is a little, little more than action. Action is certainly part of it, which we can recognise is bodily action. Obviously, speech, verbal action, even more powerful. We can create wars with speech. Um, and mental action, kind of aims, and we can have certain emotional drives that impel us towards power, success, you know and even internally that we act upon ourselves with harsh intentions or we act upon ourselves our hearts and bodies with gracious intention mm-hmm. and so there's also a heart action mental action which is towards oneself or others we can hold other people in mind with a resentful attitude so we still in some ways we see what what action involves is a movement of energy so naturally the body can't do anything by itself apart from breathe unless there's some energy driven into it to make it physically move one way or another similarly speech and thought which seem to be you know more or less inevitable require energy to keep them going energy has to move that way has to choose which way to go this movement of energy and similarly when we we recognize that we also recognize in any given time even in silence and stillness one's heart can be acting or intending or sending energy into places of benefit, worry, 
agitation, resentment, or blessing, loving kindness, relinquishment. And that will have powerful effects. Now we might acknowledge clearly that what we do physically with our bodies can very much immediately affect other people. And similarly, what we do with our speech, a lot of it is actually intended to affect other people, generally to encourage or to remind or to advise, or occasionally to reprimand or, you know. So, and these, any of these may have uh, agreeable results or skillful results if they're imbued with intentions that are associated with goodwill, um, sensitivity, uh, non-aggression, and selflessness. That means we're not trying to kind of take over somebody. We're not interested in power over other people. Well, if we are, we're going to recognize that. <clears throat> pushing people around, or bullying people, or excluding people, or slandering people. You know, this is all unwholesome speech, which we have much more capacity for than physical action. You know, one can sit in one's room, get on the phone, and do all kinds of intense unpleasant karma <laughs> nowadays on the internet you can always reach thousands of people over the all over the world with gossip accusations slander distortions misinformation this is a real problem isn't it with the with the internet and hopefully those people who are more well guided try to send out <laughs> messages of truth and clarity and so forth, good karma, affecting other people. And certainly the Buddha seemed to have spent a lot of time doing just that, sending out good messages, good karma. So, what, so what's the end of it? And why? Now what Probably we might recognize with some introspection is that karma doesn't just affect other people, it affects ourselves. Well, obvious, really. And this, in fact, the Buddha prioritized this, said, you know, you, you get shaped by the habitual or the most predominant karma that you generate. In other words, and this is not a matter of somebody mysterious force judging you, you know, some mysterious force of God or Buddhist or Buddha up there somewhere is going to judge in scrutinizing my mind and telling me how pure or impure I am. No, it doesn't happen that way. What happens is, is that the energy that you're, that's being moved around your body and mind you move it in particular ways takes a shape that becomes yourself and it 
we might take something like if we have um you know uh, rainfall rain coming down onto the earth when the earth is pretty flat the rain just forms puddles and drizzles drizzles away if that rain all is captured in a particular between two hills for example you get a river stream gets created stream gets created and the stream will flow wherever the dominant inclination down that's the way it's going to flow isn't it yeah and the land shape of the land will tend to shape the stream and the stream will shape the land as the river cuts the land crumbles or floods or whatever so this is yeah. Yeah. now similarly when our energies occur within a particular field of attention those particular things we focus on then we begin to form a stream energy is coming into a particular focus of attention say the things we occupy our attention with and, uh, and the Buddha again emphasized this whatever you predominantly occupy your attention with that will be a powerful guide or formative effect on your mind so these are like the two hills the attention span which is always some kind of thing like that so your your, your energy is then caught captured within that particular form yeah and you feel oh this is me yeah it's kind of solid it's alive it's solid it's yeah it's me all right nobody else and then what's the gradient Where's the intention? <laughs> What's the dominant intention? Where does it go? Which direction? There I go. So as my energy goes in that particular shape, that becomes my life, my future, my past. And if those intentions are kept on the same direction, you get a very straight, clear sense of this is what I am. I was this in the past and this in the present I probably will be this way in the future because I noticed that's who I was in the past Hmm. more subtly the Buddha said that particular action of this is what I was in the past this is who I am now, this is where I'm going in the future, that too is karma. That's another action. Because what are you what are we talking about? What are you what are you talking about when you say who you were in the past? Right? Your toes? No, probably not. You're talking about probably a dominant set of occasions that you remember now which had some bit of potency in them there was energy there yeah it was exciting it was terrible it was beautiful 
it was horrifying, it was stupid, it was lovely, you know. That's who I was in the past, you know. And the way I kind of try to manage that, that energy, that's me, and this is where I'm going in the future. Well, that particular attitude is called a sankara. And sankara, which is tra- it's a rather, mis- <laughs> unfortunately, rather mysterious word, but it's probably one of the most important words in Buddhism, <laughs> after dukkha. <laughs> It's a formative force, a conditioning force. And this is this is not easy to language, I'm afraid. It's not easy in any language, because it's not something we really... What's he talking about? Conditioning force. It means it's a certain... It's like a river. You know? It means it both is conditioned, the rain is falling, it's shaped... And it, it, it conditions, in other words, it carves a shape. It forms into a shape and it carves a shape. And the shape it carves is called me. And this is made up of, um, in meditation, you can begin to touch into this territory. Perhaps this is the most, most significant understanding in my opinion, to have what you're touching into when you meditate, particularly when you meditate, it's happening all the time. This isn't some just specific meditation experience, but in meditation you begin to get some perspective on it. Because you notice, look, I'm sitting here, it's quiet, it's fine. My mind's going crazy. What? I'm thinking about the future. I'm wondering what it should be, how I should do it, how long I should do it for. When I'm going to get the next retreat, what am I going to do today? Can I possibly manage to do this in my life? I'm only a layperson. I've got to go to work. How can I possibly meditate? Just what's happening? The stream is bubbling. Right? It's bubbling with a lot of me energy. So all the past, future, me, other people just comes in. These are all. And at one level, you look and you think, there's nobody here. There's no future. It's not here, is it? The past, it's not here. Where is it then? And we look at the future and the past are not here, then, well, who am I? If I have no future and no past. Huh? <laughs> What I am is a search. I am a search for direction. I am an ongoing search for direction. Right? That ongoing search, that's the push of the stream. This is Sankara. So it's an energy that's forming. It's forming the future, forming the past, forming oneself, forming other people. And it wants more form. It wants a form that is final, comfortable, and steady. And there isn't one. That's why it keeps running. And so the question is, or the theme is, 
What would it be like if that stream stopped running? If it realised no form is ever going to be final. There's nowhere in the future that that stream will not go. What if there was no particular passion or agitation or fear? What would happen? Ending of karma. Ending of forming a self. Ending of expecting the future. Ending of being haunted by the past. Wouldn't there be an ending of suffering in that? This is the Buddha's proposition, or I'm making a proposition. It was his statement, not proposition. He said, this is actually how it happens. And it doesn't happen any other way. And it's also to be understood because that stream got a lot of potency in it. Sankara, potency. It means we can imagine. Yeah, sounds like a nice idea, maybe. But what's really good today, I'm going to do this. That's really going to be fun. It probably could be quite enjoyable. I hope it is for you, you're enjoyable. But for sure, here I am. It's my duty as a miserable Buddhist monk to tell you that it will end. <laughs> Oh no, what a killjoy. But then also the, the painful bit will also end. <laughs> and maybe there's something about that that helps one to just take it all much more lightly. Yeah, some things are pleasant, great. Just take it lightly. Some things are beautiful, good, take it lightly. You can do good actions, wonderful, but don't expect too many results. You can do the best you can for other people and they will still misunderstand and get it wrong. Don't don't expect too many results. Just do just do the good without asking for result. And this is where I guess this is what the Buddha was doing. <clears throat> In other words, karma that has no no result. Well, okay, maybe obviously the Buddha's karma did have some very powerful results. But as far as he was concerned, just it's gone. Done it, finished. No, no, I am this, I'm succeeding, I'm getting it right. Just mm -hmm. what is well what else is there to do but to speak the truth? What else is there to do but open the heart? Yeah? It's alive, this is what you do with it. But in terms of oh, getting it right and becoming good, getting a great teacher, getting lots of disciples, really getting this Dhamma taught, don't think so. <clears throat> Let it happen by itself, I think was the Buddha's sense of that, by all means. So there isn't that self-regarding what other people think, what am I doing? Oh, okay. That's self-regarding. That, well, you know, that wasn't so good. You know, that was pretty well. What am I going to make? What am I going to do in the future? I'm going to get it right. There isn't that self-regarding. And that takes a weight off one's actions. And instead, one's actions 
you know, just notice you, so what when you're just aware, right, of where you are and the potencies of the mind and the potencies of the heart. You know, what kind of quality is there? It's sensitive. It's open. It's void of any aggression, seeking glory or power. And so therefore it's it's quietly benevolent and equanimous. And this itself is a tremendous gift to be presenting to others and your own heart and mind. You don't have to be something perfect or something that special in your own mind. Just be the purity of that openness. Trust it. Now in this practice we have a powerful support, both the teachings, which of course any teaching is going to be words, so it's going to be abstractions, but perhaps more directly you have the support of your body. So we have the Sankaras, these energetic formations flow through body, which is the subtle energy you can feel pervading your body when you, as you breathe in and out. That's called Kaya Sankara. Vitality, you could call it that. It's the subtle vitality that pervades your body when you breathe in and out. Breathing in, you brighten up. Breathing out, you calm. You have Chitta Sankara, which is the the energy forms that move through the heart, with a tight, swirling, streaming, steady, stagnant, whatever they are. This is energy forms in the heart. And you have Bhaji Sankara, which is the bubbling energy of thought. So by and large, with our meditation practice, you kind of slow down the bubbling energy of thought so that you can more fully access the energy of the heart. You're not getting this loud loud noise of your thinking mind drowning out what's important. Because the heart is the generator. This is where action begins, right, in the heart. Thought just follows it. Body follows it. The heart is the leader of all our actions. So you want to get to that. And so what we begin to do is use the bodily sankhara to kind of moderate the conceptual sankhara. So instead of going to your thinking mind, when your heart is listening to your thinking mind, instead your heart is listening to your breathing body. Okay, this is a steadying. The breathing body by itself has no identity. You don't need an identity to breathe. You don't need a past to breathe. You don't need a future. You don't need any self-image to breathe. It just happens. So it's a kind of place where you can just clean off that layer of experience and just be the breathing. And this means the heart is able to get a break from all the personal formations that settle into it. It gets a break from all those personal 
worries and uncertainties and concerns that settle into it because the heart gets sankara formed by its dominant activities and concerns it's good to just take a break and then that break now actually we come back into the heart what feels right or good now what actually do you want to heart quality heart intention do you feel as you feel in a settled state this is this is what i want to bring forth and continue then you have good karma so you have a way of ending the karma ending the actions of the heart let's put it to one side pick it up when you need to do something but at the same time even as you're acting allowing the heart to act skillfully with no looking forward or back so let the action the energy then goes out and ceases subsides doesn't keep banging away it doesn't keep back where was i what will i what it just just goes out and if you let energy do that it moves and subsides that's its nature so we see how that's where it ends so in this presentation what i'm saying is ending of karma is not like okay you know after 25 lifetimes probably just managed to wear down all my bad karma enough probably just cranked up enough good karma scrubbed off the rubbish getting to the end of the story finally 25 lifetimes maybe oh no maybe another 25 how long well if you believe in streams that's where it's going to go but if you come out the stream you just well it's rain it's just rain mm-hmm. it, that's where it ends and that can be the ending of karma can be like five seconds there's the action there's the completion, there's the release. Okay. So the ending of karma is not some kind of ultimate absolute, but a, a, you know, an actual full awareness of where does energy go? Where does the formative energy go if you if it's clear and it's steady and you follow it? It goes to a place which is who is that? Personally experienced, intimate, nobody there. Right? <laughs> so then we begin to recognize that you know the, the the kind of skillful functions of the mind that, that support that mindfulness exploration of dhammas steadiness equanimity all the enlightenment factors are just helping to sh- keep that that mental psychological energy carefully contained and then released let it go to release 
the end, the release is the end. And then, you know, one's aware of other things maybe come up, but don't need to do that. That's not necessary. That I can't do. I'd like to, but I can't do that. It's not within my range. Well, this I can do. Do it. Ending. Enough. So that's why the Buddha teaches karma, the end of karma. Get that sense of where the energy comes to a, a peaceful resolution. Conscience and concern one has. Try to sustain that sensitivity of awareness, intelligence, energy. Ending. This means you, with that ending, you get the, you begin to also understand what kind of actions and energies will, will go there. If I'm striving too hard, it doesn't go there. If I'm not clearly attending, it doesn't go there. If I keep wavering and doubting, it doesn't go there. If I get forceful, it doesn't go there. If I get self-critical, it doesn't go there. If I want everybody to like me, it doesn't go there. <laughs> Removal of these influences, right? You just do, you know, you get some sense of, yeah, I can live this life really alive about these ghosts haunting me all the time. And this is a big, this is suffer, ending of suffering, immediate, recognizable, pertinent, relevant to all of us in our lives. This is not some kind of way off mystical experience. This is called sanity, <laughs> which seems to be a way off experience for the world in general <laughs> but it's within our reach <laughs> when, when all that stuff ends <laughs> so <laughs> it looks like i'm coming to the end of my karma in terms of this session this time